So this morning I am on a curious cat adventure. I woke up, had a little scroll through Instagram and I saw that someone was doing some kind of pop-up project. Um, immediately intrigued, decided to contact him and just ask what was going on and I decided to just go down there and see for myself what was happening. So in true curious cat style, I've not planned for this, I've no expectations. Um, I guess I just want to show people that you really can just follow your own curiosity and you don't need to pre-plan, you don't need to have things all ticked off before you take action. It can be fun, it can be spontaneous, it can feel light and free. As I say that, I'm just walking past a school playground and it's lunchtime, so uh, those little ones are being light and free right now. Um, so join me as I go on my way to this mystery place. Welcome to The Curious Cat, a podcast for the curious and adventurous. I'm now on the hunt for the uh, venue. Hmm. Aha, here it is. The family store. Hello, hello. 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 Hi, I'm Basil. Thank you. Wow, this is exciting. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really good fun. We're going to fill up the, the this space with drawings every every day. Um, we are upstairs at the family store on Kenston Gardens in Brighton's North Lane, um, and uh, they have a gallery space up here. And myself, Daniel Locke, Hannah Reeton, and Joe DC are uh, have have set up a um, a 21st century version of a of a 18th century print shop. How would you describe the the setup? It, we've got three. That's a scriptorium. Script. Like yes. <laughs> <laughs> we've got three scriptorium style desks. And what is a scriptorium style? Well, it's desk? like a really upright drawing table. Uh, the, the table is at an angle, and we're sitting high up on stools, and the whole thing looks really awesome. They're arranged in like a in a triangular. Uh, form so a triad artists. triad of artists. We're all looking at one another, um, <laughs> and there's outer chaos on top of our desk yeah, already. What, what is there on here? There's an open pencil case, a pencil case in the shape of a Ferrari or a Jaguar or something like health that. Health and safety nightmare. I it's think. a health and safety <laughs> nightmare, yeah. and it will only get worse. This is only three hours in, and it is just a debris of coffee cups and prit sticks and ink, precariously balanced on top of our desks. It's going to be an accident at some point. We're going to spend the week uh, producing sort of graphic, um, a graphic portrait of Brighton during the festival. In the early days of print media in this country, you had uh, these people walking around the streets of London selling pamphlets about the, you know, the political life of the, the city. Um, but alongside that, you had two other institutions that were really important. There was the coffee shops, um, which were new then, and the print shops. And the print shops were a home to people like uh, Cruikshank and Hogarth. They would be sometimes working in the print shop itself, producing satirical cartoons, lampooning sort of uh, you know well-known characters of the time. Um, and the, the 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 shop would make short editions of these in, in the form of etchings and things like that that was that were on sale to the public. Um, the shop would also put them importantly put them in their shop window 
and just passers-by would walk past and look at the day's comics. So it became like an early version of the comics pages in their board sheet newspaper. So that was one, one inspiration, but um, I always found those really the idea of those places really exciting. And actually Hannah and I were just talking about how, how much fun it was when we were students and you got to work with your friends in a gallery space. Yeah. So I guess another inspiration would be to try and find a way of you know, uh, recreating that creative space where you're working communally but on your own projects. And how does that differ to co-working? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, I don't know what co-working is, actually, yeah. It's where people, I guess, a lot of people who are working for themselves don't want to just be staying at home working in isolation. So they hire office spaces and work together. And some, some are trying to be little creative hubs. Yeah. So you've got that working on your own but with other people. Yeah. And I guess in the breaks you can have an intermingling of yeah. ideas. And yeah, exactly. Oh, were those all those places around North Lane where, kind of with, with, where people take their pugs and drink chai. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it. What do you think is the relevance of a print shop now, a modern day print shop? I think that, um, so we're all uh, cartoonists and graphic novelists, so we like print media, you know. Um, what's the relevance? Maybe just that having a physical space, like a it's to do with the community, so this is, this is a physical space that people can come to and we're using the internet to help people know about it and, and to share the things we make, but this is actually... Yeah, it's a space where people can come, they can have a conversation about art with people who are not trying to sort of be too clever about it or anything. It's not, it's not like, it's not supposed to be too arty or intimidating it's just it's, it's is it about making it the everyday and actually incorporating art yes. and creative expression yeah. into our everyday life so Definitely. it's not just this kind of reified thing that's right absolutely so that's one of the reasons for, for this is our first day and you can see looking around that the walls are quite empty and it was really that was really on purpose we've invited people to bring their stories for us to illustrate if they want to so that the community can be involved in building an exhibition. Normally you go to an exhibition and everything's hung and framed and it's a sort of, it's a passive experience. You walk through the exhibition space. This is some, something different. It's a working space, firstly. It's also, it's a working space in which people can come in and see how art is made. So we're demystifying the process. But we're also saying, you know, this is a human activity. So we're all humans. It's, Let's, let's make it together. And as artists, how important do you think it is to be creating and sharing things that we can touch when we're living in such an yeah. internet age yeah. and I think digital age? That's right. I mean, like, we're in internet age. We're also in a highly, highly visual age. So it's difficult sometimes as an artist to find ways of expressing yourself which are, are relevant within such a like rich visual landscape. And, and one of the things, if you're making something which is tactile, we're making prints here, we're using the internet, but it's not, an in, it's not a digital project. We're making physical objects. I think that's one way that you can, you know, that you can celebrate a, a visual culture distinctly and differently from the other parts of it that we're surrounded by in the internet. Can we talk a little bit about all of your own work? 
So if yeah. you could introduce yourself and the kind of work that you do and where yeah. we might find it. Yep, so uh, my name's Daniel Locke, I'm a graphic novelist. Um, my first book's going to be published by a company called No Brow Press this year. Um, and that book came about as a result of a Wellcome Trust uh, grant. Um, it's called Out of Nothing and it's a celebration of human knowledge. And it covers uh, the formation of the solar system uh, and looks at the invention of printing, um, the invention of hip-hop, and it ends with the death of the last star in the universe. So it covers a big sweep of stuff. And Hannah is... I'm Hannah Eaton, graphic novelist. I've got one book out with them, sorry, I'm drawing at the same time, that's why I don't sound very committed to this. Sorry, I am committed to this. Um, I've got one, one novel which is, which is called Naming Monsters, which is out with them, uh, Myriad Editions. Um, and I'm in the middle of writing another one. I'm trying to do a Brighton Arcana. I'm doing a tarot. Well, I'm not going to get them all done, but I'm doing some pictures for a tarot deck, possibly. And you're working on the Hierophant at the yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> this great. amazing guy called David, who, who um, whose grandfather, grandfather um, founded Brighton Sea Swimming Club in 1882, I got to go around the other way, uh, yeah. um, he's the kind of keeper of the, the knowledge about when to go swimming or when it's really stupid to do so. Which is perfect <laughs> for the Hierophant, it's yes. beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And Hannah, how did you get into, um, well I suppose creating a career out of art? Um, it's been a very, very long process, I suppose I have almost got one now. Um, I don't know. I went to art school, but that didn't really help. Um, she went to art school, yeah, but then she became a performer. And she oh, you know, that's true. Yeah, I did all that as well. I forgot about all what, that. What did you perform? Oh, mostly sort of live art and cabaret stuff. I did a lot for Ducky in London and sort of at festivals. Um, about eight years ago, Hannah, Hannah's oh. always made amazing drawings. And about eight years ago, um, she had a year where she wasn't, didn't have like a day to day job, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was when I first moved to Brighton and I was looking for, um, uh, yeah, I was looking for something a bit more permanent and so I sort of wrote this graphic novel. And she wrote an entire graphic novel in six weeks. We, we would meet together it and in the afternoon. six weeks. It was! You was had it? an entire oh. draft. And I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> and that got picked up by Myriad Editions and Brighton. Yeah, I entered it into a competition um, which was won by Gareth Brooks, but I kind of came second and they decided to publish it. Did Amazing. that change things for the court? Oh your... my god, yeah, completely. In what way? Um, it made me. I've got made me feel like I was literally allowed to exist. It's mad, like how how validating having something published by an actual company is. But it's that permission. Um, it's permission, isn't it? So often, I think we yeah, seek we external permission. Definitely. Yeah. We shouldn't. We should. It should all be intrinsic. It should all be about Maybe. just just like whatever. But um, it's not. And it was really, really good having this, sorry, I literally can't multitask. Um. <laughs> You're doing brilliantly. <laughs> I'll just explain to the listeners. Um, whilst Hannah is talking to us, she is just creating such a beautiful image. It's very fine detail. And it's, yes, so I think you're doing an amazing job between both. Uh, and Daniel, what would you say, I mean, so the idea of the Curious Cat podcast is about looking at creativity, curiosity, and kind of living an adventurous life, whatever that looks yep. like for you. And 
I mean, do you think there's a link between those three things? Creativity, Definitely. curiosity and adventurous living? Yeah, you can't be creative without having a well, sort of developed sense of curiosity. And um, I think just trying to live a creative life leads to adventures. You end up in doing bizarre, strange things, like, like this now. Um, and all over that, Hannah, one year Hannah and I worked on a on a reality TV programme. Oh, yeah. That would never have happened Dating if I hadn't been in, in the dark. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Really bizarre. Really bizarre. Um, can you explain what the concept was? Dating in the dark. So I was desperate for work and I was applying for absolutely anything and there was a call for it was artists. Endemol, wasn't it? It was the Endemol. Big People had made Big Brother. They were hoping it would be the next Big Brother. It didn't quite pan out. But they were, they were asking... Um, so in Big Brother you had this scenario with a group of strangers living together in, in one room and they used to have to do tasks. You remember that? You did weird Hannah and I were yeah. one of the tasks. In Dating in the Dark, they, they had a community of people, strangers, living together, separated by gender. The two genders would meet in a dark room and date one another. And they'd feel each other, wouldn't they? they? Only their faces. They, they'd kind of do a sort of... Yeah, so Hannah and I were what they called sketch artists. So after the contestants had touched each other's faces in this darkened room. It was like spirit drawing. It was about yeah. as successful as doing a bloody spirit drawing. Oh, oh White Elk is, is talking to you now. Um, I'm seeing you know, like... a yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, would, they, they would describe, they would describe the, their feeling of what the other person looked like and Hannah and I would have to draw yeah. it out. It was a wicked job. We had to get up with the crack of dawn. Exceptionally well paid. And really well paid and really, very little work. Like, intrinsically totally unrewarding, but really, really, yeah. It was yeah, it was awesome. By the end of the, by the end of the, it was a couple of months and by the end of it I was just drawing the same person every time because it didn't really matter what I drew. All well, yours looked like just had to be, from Aladdin. Yeah, it just had to be like a girl or a boy and that was it. It was very, <laughs> very easy work. And but that was definitely an adventure. And did people find love? Um, well, I found something, I think. Maybe. I don't know whether love is a thing, but... A few people got their jollies, didn't they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> gross, isn't it? Joe's here now. Ah. Hello, Joe. Are you alright if I come round and uh, speak to you? So, would you be able to just um, introduce yourself um, and tell me kind of what kind of work you do and what you're doing right now? I am Joe DC. I'm a Brighton-based cartoonist. I do graphic novels about family life, but I lie. And I also do comic strips about life in Brighton. And it's incredibly easy pickings because us Brighton folk are very liberal and uh, very easy to make fun of with our organic small batch uh, coffee. Small uh, batch lives. What, what is it? What's the bread? What's that? Sourdough. Our sourdough lives. Yeah, and uh, so I'm here with these guys and I'm just basically doing what I do anyway, which is take little snippets of things that I see in, in Brighton and uh, draw them up into funny little prints and comics. What are you working on right now? Well, this morning as I was coming in, I was walking through the North Lane at about quarter to 10 when it's pretty much dead. No one's up yet, but the few people who work in the shops are there having their morning coffees getting ready for the day and so I started looking at what people were drinking and there was a girl barefoot drinking some cold pressed coffee out of a jam jar <laughs> there, was a, there was a guy drinking a, a milkshake with a roll up big milkshake in a nice vase uh, there was the tapioca drinkers and of course the um, <laughs> what they called all those, sounds delicious those big, uh, those big cans of energy drinks so I thought I'd uh, 
draw a picture all about that, about the strange brews of the North Lane. And how important is art to you personally and art to community society at large? Well, life would be pretty boring without art and it's important to me because it's how I make my living. Uh, and yeah, I think I'd be quite dull without it and life in general would be pretty boring without a bit of drawn in there. The art you create for your living, is that different to something you might create for yourself? No, I'm lucky in that I've managed to uh, combine the two. It's not easy and I don't always make a lot of money because I don't think commercially, but I think because I use a lot of humour that's a way that I can relate to people. People are interested in that, so yeah, I just scrape by. And throughout your career what have you learnt about curiosity and creativity and being open to new opportunities? You have to go for it really. If, you, if you're if you presented with an opportunity you've got to give it a try. Um, I fear change personally, I'm not very good at it. I like to, I, you know, stylistically wise I like to stick to what I know but you don't really progress much. You, you've got to be open to a happy accident and that's why working in this environment that we're in now is excellent in that you can bounce ideas off people and steal from each other and uh, yeah generate ideas through looking at each other's work. Is there such a thing as original art? Well surely what you mean as in... Well you mentioned kind of stealing ideas and people do yeah, talk course. about actually we, sh we should encourage stealing. Yeah and I think that it is frowned upon to bite someone's style but uh, you know you're never going to learn unless you take from take from as long as you're putting your own twist on it that's fine if you're just ripping someone off then that's not cool but if you're taking and moving on from it then you know it's to be encouraged that's the only way we can learn you know I, I, I don't think it's I don't think there is like such a thing as style really I think that you you do inevitably um you are like you're the sum of all the people you've met aren't you and the, the things you've experienced so uh, that idea that you can have ownership over a particular way of expressing is just really... Yeah, it's not true, is it? No. You're, and, and especially the things that you're into at particular stages in your life, like when you're a child, when you're a kind of young adult and a teenager, I think those things affect you profoundly. They're, they make up kind of your own, your, your sort of cultural subconscious. And, yeah. and they all come out, and I don't think that's, that's not the same thing as plagiarising or stealing at all. It's, it's about living in the world and, and yeah, yeah. sort of connecting with things. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's definitely house styles and styles amongst different social groups, especially yeah. within the comics world. And there's nothing wrong with that because I feel that's giving people an opportunity to belong and have like a, you know, a, a crew or a collective. Your people I think is important. And if to the untrained eye it all looks the same, well, so be it, that's, yeah. that's youth for you. And do you think spaces like this, so a project like this, do you think this is something you'd like to see kind of take off elsewhere and not just for a special occasion like the Brighton Festival? I think open studios are important in that you can, uh, you know, it gives someone an opportunity to see and maybe try things for themselves, which, you know, if we're all hiding away, that's not going to happen, but if you're accessible and out there, it, it's uh, yeah vital for people to discover you. You've got to get your work out there, and if people can engage with you and talk with you, all the better. 
I think. And as an artist, have you found getting your work out there, is that a challenge? We've got the internet and that, that helps. I think without the internet um, it would be a lot harder. The, the traditional fine art channels aren't necessarily open to cartoonists, but luckily in this day and age it's not difficult. And even if you are shy, it's, you, you can throw your, throw your work, on, work onto the internet. But personally I like meeting people and chatting about things. So. I don't use the internet at all. I don't know how anybody ever sees my work. I don't think they do, actually. <laughs> Would you agree that there's been a, an increase in interest with like graphic novels and cartoons? And... Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Why do you think that is? Because they're awesome. Yeah, because they're really good. <laughs> I, think, I, think that, um, I think it's partly to do with that whole thing of uh, um, people looking for a, 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 you know, something tactile and something that they can put in a bag to you know, and, and, and unlike maybe like a paperback novel, graphic novels are visually appealing, you know, there, there's an object there as well that maybe normal traditional prose doesn't necessarily have in the same way, you know. Well, it's not wanky as well, like it's yeah, not no, it's art, so it is art, but it's not, it's not yeah. like art art. Yeah. You can I read it, it's a story, you can read it, it's possibly right. funny, it's, it's relatable. I think that's reflected in the types of subject matter as well, yeah. so you've got a really Suddenly, over the past like 15 years, you've got a really broad range of subject matters being published and loads of different perspectives and experiences yeah. you wouldn't even find in traditional. No, because uh, it's not just about superheroes or no, a kid no. going out to play MCSA yeah. now, is it? I mean, there's some really complex things about grief, yeah. war, yeah, conflict. Definitely. Exactly. Lots, of, lots of ways of telling people's stories. There's a whole sort of subgenre called graphic medicine, which is people's sort of illness narratives and stuff like that. There's loads of things um, which are about the everyday experience of, of, of people. A lot of this is, a lot of the, this great stuff is, is stuff that people that have read comics for a long time have known for ages and have been saying for ages, and it's stuff that other places in the world have known for years and years. Yeah. But in the English language uh, sort of community, it's been so dominated by superheroes it's been very difficult, and there hasn't been much of everything else until now, either, is there? Kids of comics. Yeah. Yeah. Comics, comics of kids. Comics of kids. Yeah, there's, do you think there's been a snobbery? Yeah, definitely. And Usually. kind of like literacy kind of yeah. snobbery, isn't Yeah, there? and that's, I think that is, in, 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 in Britain especially, there is a primacy of the printed word over everything else. So, you know, it's not just comics that I get a hard time, it's film and all sorts of other things, you know. So. Where the other other cultures that have a, a more a, a richer history of sort of visual art like France painting and other places, so I think it's more it's easier it's been easier for them to find a space for. Mm. Comics is um, not a genre; it's a medium, and I think a lot of people find that. Yeah, difficult. find it really difficult. I think most people still do. It's really easy in Brighton or in like the southeast to think that comics are really on the ascendance, but you know it's still. Then it's still very, very incredibly small here. And um, how effective do you think it is as a storytelling tool? It's the best! It's like literally one of the best, if, if you, not the best. If you can't say it in words, you can draw it. And if you can't draw it, you can put it in words. Yeah. So it's accessible for everyone. It's the ultimate hybrid. Yeah, yeah. If done right. Yeah, yeah. it's like a film with freeze frames, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. Can or it can be like a poem. It is very like poetry, it's like writing poetry, writing a comic, because you think about what you're not putting in and what you can infer. I think it's the most human form of, of communication there is. So do you have to think about language really, really carefully? The, the words you use, 
or choose to use? Are they? Is that really? That is very considered. Yeah, with much me, more than yeah. writing prose. Yeah. With me, the words are the are the bit I struggle with. That I spend longest. Really? Getting, yeah, drawing is already there in my head. I can get that out quite easily, but making sure that the flow of the words is yeah, I completely agree with that. That's the tricky bit. If I were to ask you what piece of art or storytelling inspired you the most, would something come to mind? No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Too tricky. Too... Give me half an hour and I'll get it. Okay. <laughs> Hannah, does anything else jump out at you or is it... Yeah, I, I probably, as soon as you say, oh, it's really bad. Probably, um, Female Trouble by John Waters, The Wicker Man and the work of Edward Gorey, I think, are my three most influential things, although like, you can't see that from looking at my stuff at all. Maybe The Wicker Man, that's about it really. Great. <laughs> Daniel, I'm going to come over and ask you the same question. Oh god, it's a nightmare, isn't it? There's so many things, and I think there's some, some things which are really, really important to you, but are also just crap. But they, they, they came along at a time in your life like where... Like Back to the Future 2. Like Back to the Future 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've thought of one. Come on. back to me. I'll come back to you. The, the poetry and songs of Ivor Cutler. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That's that, yeah. That's it, that's my answer. And I'm just going to go round. Okay, I have got one, but I can't even remember the name of the guy who wrote it. I missed the Phoenix. What's it, what's it called? The, the uh, Japanese, really famous atom boy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Otomo uh, Tezuka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Otomo Tezuka, and he wrote this sequence of books called the Phoenix books. Um, and they're, they're amazing and brilliant. And it blew my brain away when I was like a teenager. And did you all know or want to be artists and creators from a very young age? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I came from a middle class upbringing where it was, it was acceptable and financially viable to pursue your dreams and in a time when I didn't have to pay to go to art college. So I was extremely privileged and lucky to be never told that that wasn't a, a, a job option. Because now, for say if there's a, a child that's growing up now who's really just loves art and creating and exploring, what advice would you give them to either kind of keep hold of that curiosity and creativity or if, if there's an adult that perhaps that was part of them in their childhood but it got lost along the way or what, what would you say to you just got to keep going. It, yeah. Yeah, keep going and meet other people who do it and get them to help you mm. and put stuff on the internet and, and a lot of the time, especially when you're a young adult, it's the feeling that you need to solve all your financial problems all at once before you have room to do art. But actually, all you need to be able to do is pay to survive day by day. And, and, and as soon as I realised that, I started being like a full-time artist. And so, you know, you don't earn much money, but it's possible to keep it going. And I definitely think, like, my upbringing was the opposite. I, I, we didn't have any money, but my, I think my parents were just exasperated by me and thought, my God, what the hell is going to happen to Dan? He's completely useless at everything except he can draw, so they encouraged me as a pragmatic way of helping mm. me find a living when I was older. <laughs> my mum was gutted when I went to art school. She was really cross with me. Really? Yeah. So did you have to have a sense of stubbornness to kind of pursue this? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's more important than talent. I've known so many talented people that don't that, that left it on the way after college especially. Yeah. 
Um, but the people that are still doing it aren't necessarily the most talented, but they're the ones that just refuse to stop. Yeah, they're not, they're not, <laughs> and also, really importantly, they're not the most pushy either. They're just the people that still kept doing it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so that's interesting. Or the most ambitious or the most networking. No, they're just... Some of, those, some of those people are really successful, but other ones, um, other people who are doing all right with it aren't. I reckon actually getting rid of the notion of success yeah. And, and rethinking it to I mean, no, work out what, what, it, it, what, it, what it means to I mean to successful you. as in kind of managing to still do it, having enough, having enough yeah. sort of resources and feeling okay enough to do it every day. Yeah. Do you find that you have to be in a certain mood to create or can you create when you're sad, feeling low, as well as happy and inspired? I think sometimes you do, sometimes, what? Like, I, you know, I have to do it every day, so come what may, I have to go and draw because I have to pay my bills. But um, sometimes you sit and you draw and it feels amazing because everything is just right and you've got the ideas. And then other times it is like a job of work. So, I think and the notion of a starving artist and that we need pain and suffering to create is yeah. ridiculous. You need to... You need to um, yeah, that doesn't work. You need to be happy and fed. Yeah, well, I, yeah do anyway. I do as well. Actually, I think yeah. a lot of my work comes out of joy rather than sadness. Like joy of the natural world or things I've learned or found out about. So, um, this is the opposite. I have actually made some stuff out of grief, yeah. but it's appalling. Well, great. I don't know. I think it comes out of aliveness rather than deadness. So I think grief, yeah, yeah, can, grief can make good art, but depression can't no. really. I mean, I, you know, you can work if you're depressed, but only if you've got something to colour in, I think. Then we haven't really talked about your work right now. Yep. Can you describe what you're doing? Okay, so we had to come up with something which answers the brief of... Uh, yeah, I should say this is Arts Council funded, so we, we've been, yes, we've been given, the Arts, Council. the Arts Council is amazing and this wouldn't be happening without them. We set ourselves the brief of providing Brighton with like a graphic portrait of itself during the festival um, and we've, we've each come up with our own answer to that brief and my answer is to not think about the festival really, but to think about Brighton it's, itself and the things that live in Brighton and I'm going to be doing a, a portrait of as many of the elm trees that we have in Brighton that are still alive. Yesterday I went inside one of the Preston twins. I saw that, it was amazing, yeah, oh. beautiful. I had piece. no idea it was so, they were hollow. Yeah, 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 they grow alive. Out. Yeah, well the outside is the bit that lives in the tree, the, that, it's the, that band outside, so it's the, the sensor can get lost in really old trees. Yeah, and the um, fact that Brighton has such an important collection of English elms, never knew that. Hugely important. It's like internationally important because the rest of the country's population has been decimated by Dutch elm disease. So um, these are trees. So I'm from Brighton and I've grown up around the elms and I've seen loads of them go. And recently, unfortunately, we've, we've, we've seen a return of Dutch elm disease in Brighton. It, it probably is like here to stay. Um, so you'll see sometimes these trees that you've known forever, that my grandfather knew forever. Um, with signs on them from the council saying, you know, this tree's been lost um, and it's heartbreaking. So I want to do something to preserve uh, some memory, uh, I want to do something to preserve the community that we have. This is like another community of organisms that exist within the town alongside us. Um, and they're multi-generational, like, you know, we, we, in terms of human generations. 
Lovely. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been a really fascinating conversation. Thanks Thank you. Thank you.